Welcome to ECB Everything College Basketball, cooking it up with Tyler, Josh, and Peyton. Yeah. It's everything college basketball. We're marching on to the madness. Come to full court press, every crazy dunk in the conference and how that team's back up. We're pulling your poles, taking your bows, letting the Burton brothers know. The players you're watching, the teachers you're not with, and who you see in the final four. With them shout outs and weekly pickums, plus those crazy rants from Tyler, Josh, and Peyton. It's ECB, everything college basketball, training three. Man, this podcast has it all. It's ECB, everything college basketball, training three. Yeah, now the moment you've all been waiting for Your host, from the corner It's Josh and Peyton Burton With Tyler Cool Everything College Basketball Podcast Welcome to Everything College Basketball, episode 56. I'm, of course, Josh Burton, and it's just me again this week. Peyton will be making his return as we get a little closer to the NCAA tournament time. Of course, we are brought to you by Applied Right and and Painting Restoration. Let me say that again. Applied Right Painting and Restoration. Our friend, J.R. Rowan Company. um, Weather's eventually going to start warming up. They're already getting their business back in line for springtime stuff. Anything you need for the painting and anything like that around the house, hit up Applied Right Painting and Restoration on Facebook. Give them a like. Send them a message. Tell them ECB sent you. Um, Guys, we are sitting here. As I record tonight, we are three weeks away from Selection Sunday. Let me repeat that. Three weeks away from Selection Sunday. Season feels like it's went on forever, but at the same time, when you start putting it in perspective, it feels like it's went super fast, too. We're three weeks away from Selection Sunday. As we sit here, three weeks from tonight, we're going to know the full field of 68. And just like the whole season, so much shakeup the past week. Um, just in the last 24 hours alone, we've had four, five of the top ten lose, including three of the top five. Teams that had streaks of 20-plus games be ended over the weekend. Uh, We're going to get into that here in just a minute. Um, Of course, you know, I haven't mentioned them in a a couple episodes now, but you guys know, long-time listeners, that badass intro we've done, or we have, is brought to you by our friends from Real Life Music Crew, our friend Wayne Emberton, a.k.a. Ghost Flows. Uh, Dropped that track for us back in the summer. It's been a huge hit. So I've had some people ask me about that. Go follow them. Go find uh, Real Life Music Crew, Ghost Flows, a.k.a. Wayne Emberton, on uh, on Facebook. Go follow them on Instagram. And, uh, yeah, our, we don't, our intro track is better than anybody else's in the game. I'll put that up with anybody. But speaking of the game, we're going to jump right into it. Um, This week... We now have a race for the Big 12 crown. It's a, like a five-game five race for the crown. We're going to get into the SEC has a, a new leader that's starting to stretch the lead. 
If you guys remember the last couple weeks, it's went from one team having a two-game lead to it being a three-way tie. Now one team has a two-game lead, but an opposite way. Um, the ACC's, we got a race in that. The Big Ten, it almost like they're so good and they beat each other up. Nobody wants to win that conference. But we got a lot to get into. Let's go ahead and start with the game of the week yesterday. The number three Kansas Jayhawks went into Waco, Texas to play the number one Baylor Bears, a team in Baylor had been on a 23-game win streak. Their lone loss on the year had came earlier in the year to, believe it or not, Washington. Now, this is when Washington sucked quad eight green. They were who we thought they could be. Uh, this is before they really blew it up and started sucking. Um, Baylor on a 23-game win streak, the number one team in land. Actually, as volatile as number one's been all year, they became number one and really held the fort down. And they're Kansas's only conference loss. And this is what I'm talking about with the Big 12 when we're talking about this. If Baylor sweeps Kansas, if they pull out this win yesterday, they sweep Kansas, they're up two games with only four or five to go, conference race is over because they're not going to slip up anywhere else. Kansas wins, though. Now we're talking. Because these are the only two teams that's going to win that conference. Because in third place is Texas Tech right now. And I think they've got four or five conference losses. So it's a two-horse race for the Big 12. And there's a lot at stake. If you remember last year, Kansas's 14-year streak, 13 or 14-year streak of just dominating the Big 12 came to an end at the hands of Texas Tech. And who did, who did help dethrone them now? Now I'm sitting here thinking about it. Anyways, their uh, their streak came to an end. It'd be you have to go even further back for Kansas not to win it two years in a row, or at least you know two years without winning. That's what I'm trying to say. So by far the game of the day, the game of the week this week in college basketball, number three Kansas revenge game on the road at number one Baylor, and it was a noon tip time. I was just thinking about this too, especially on a weekend game, Saturday game. I know for me as a Kentucky fan, I either want to be the very first game of the day, like this was a noon tip time, or I want to be at the very end. It sucks being that four o'clock, six o'clock middle of the afternoon when you're trying to do stuff or whatever. Kentucky will get in them. They played at six yesterday. So this to me came out a great time. And it's interesting. It makes it a little bit harder for the opposing team. It was great for Baylor because you get to stay home. You have to deal with travel. Yeah, the noon tip's a little bit early, but, you know, what if you have to play the very first game in the NCAA tournament? You might as well get used to it. But what a game. What a game we had between these two. We knew it was going to be physical. We knew it was going to be defensive, and that's what it turned out to be. Kansas only played seven guys in this game, too, which is super surprising. Uh, Bill just shortened his rotation, and uh, Kansas is buzzing right now. What a game, though. Um, both these teams get after it. It got a little sloppy at times, uh, shooting-wise, but it comes to expect when you have two really good defenses like this. And the credit to the referees, for the most part, they let them play. They let them play physical. They let them play, they let them play the type of game that you deserve to see from two tough-minded defensive um, defensive-style teams in a game of this magnitude, not only for a conference, but in the national stakes. Keep in mind, these are two number one seeds, according to Joe Lenardi and every other bracketologist. So it has so many implications, and the referees could have easily 
you know, national TV game, ESPN, et cetera, et cetera, and try to show off. But they let them play, and that was phenomenal. You know what else was phenomenal? Yudoka Azabuki. It's time, I think, that you really start to consider him for National Player of the Year. Uh, he, you know, he, He's been a great Jayhawk. We knew coming in that he was going to be key for him. Losing him last year is what I think really set Kansas off uh, on their downward spiral last season. He came back this year as a senior with the Vengeance. He's been phenomenal. He's a walking double-double. Um, he still leads NCA in field goal percentage because he doesn't take risk added risk for threes. Um, he's uh, right around the rim. He knows where his bread's buttered, and he scores around the rim. He takes the majority of his shots around that rim, and he shoots. I think he's at like seventy five percent field goal percentage. I mean, it's an absolutely ridiculous percentage. Um, Doke though. 11 of 13 from the field, 36 minutes, you know, 19 rebounds, 23 points. Let me say that again. It was a career high in rebounds for him yesterday. 23 points, 19 rebounds for Yudoka Azabuki. What a performance. Um, also, Kansas, big minutes. Uh, Marcus Garrett, just defensively, not really scoring the ball much. You know, but he had nine points, seven assists, a couple steals. I mean, he did turn the ball over way too much, five turnovers. But he's their defensive stopper. He's their guy. He is their, um, he's their Ashton Hagens. Marcus Garrett's one of the top four or five defenders in all of college basketball, and he is their Ashton Hagens. Uh, you know, Isaiah Moss. I'm going to get to him here in a second. He had 11 points uh, ever since he got inserted back in the starting lineup. You know, because he'd been coming off the bench ever since he got put back in that lineup. He's been phenomenal for Kansas. You know, the grad transfer from Iowa came in, known as a shooter. He only hit one three yesterday, four of nine from the field, two of two from the free throw line. Um, but 11 points, I'm going to tell you a play here that I really thought was absolute vital here later on. Devon Dotson, their leader, 13 points. Uh, he's right there for National Player of the Year as well. And then Oche Abaji didn't score. He played 39 minutes, didn't score, had one foul, but he was in there because of his defense. Um, that's a key reason right there. If your younger kids out there listening, you don't have to score to affect the ball game. He played 39 minutes, didn't hit a shot, 0 of 5 from the field, 0 of 2 from 3 of those included in that. But he, only one foul, he almost played the full game. Because I couldn't take him out because of his defensive and his intangibles. Um, on the Baylor side of things here, Baylor good and played eight guys. They're so good, man. Like you got Tristan Clark coming off the bench. Tristan Clark just last year and the year before was Baylor's best player, or arguably their best player. Another balance attack for Baylor. Um, Butler leads them with 19, you know, four of ten from three. Six six rebounds, six assists. You know, Baylor is so hard-nosed to put away. Um, look at some team stats. You know, free throw shooting was weird because in a game like this, again, two physical teams, you thought there would be some fouls called. Kansas only 7 of 10 from the free throw line. Baylor 8 of 15 from the free throw line. I'm going to talk about that here in a second. Um, but, you know, 25 combined free throws in a game like this, you know, you would have thought that there had been a little bit more, is all I'm saying. But, again, kudos to the refereeing crew on this one. Baylor did hit 7-3. Seven, 7 of 20 from 3. Kansas only 3 of 13. 
But at the end of the day, when I'm getting to Kansas with a monster, monster win to snap Baylor's 23-game win streak, 64-61, almost pissed it away at the end. They're up. After jogging my memory, they're up five, six points are late. Turn the ball over. Baylor comes down, busts a three, inbound the ball. Uh, or they, they go down, hit some free throws. Baylor comes down and scores. I don't know. I, th- I actually think turned it over, but Kansas couldn't get the inbound in. Turned it over. Baylor hits a three. I mean, just one of those crazy things at the end of the game. Kansas didn't value the ball, but Baylor's inability to shoot free throws. I go back to 8 of 15 from free throw line, and some of them the last three or four minutes when they absolutely desperately needed you know, a pair of free throws would go one of two or even sometimes doink both of them. We've seen it. You know, the one thing I've bragged about Kentucky this year is how well they shoot free throws, but you've seen it. Louisville at Kentucky, free throw shooting doomed them. We've seen them how many times this year where free throws have doomed teams, even my Kentucky teams in the past decade under Coach Cal. How many times could they have went to a Final Four, maybe even won the title, had they hit free throws? Free throw shooting always comes back to haunt you. Baylor goes 8 of 15 and only loses by three. Shot 53.3% from the free throw line. You bump that up to just 70%. Give them an extra, give them the extra three free throws and we're at least in overtime. Put them at 11 of 15. Free throw shooting buried Baylor. Um, But I want to go back to Isaiah Moss. I talked about a play. Down the stretch where Kansas is turning the ball over and Baylor's hitting these crazy threes and getting to the rim and like really trying to claw back. It was a one-point game. 60, I'm going to say it was 62-61 at the time. And Isaiah Moss at the free throw line with 10 seconds to go. And the pressure, I mean, he's shooting into the, the Baylor student section. I mean, all sorts of craziness. But his expert or his experience and clutchness came through. Because I don't know if a freshman hits those. I mean, a big-time freshman, sure, that's been there. But just... A guy, um, we'll use Christian Braun, who played 21 minutes off the bench for Kansas, one of their better freshmen. Um, I don't know if he steps up and hits those. He might hit one, but does he hit both? Isaiah Moss stepped up, calmly knocked down both free throws, kind of squelched that rally because all the momentum had shifted in a hurry to Baylor. If he only makes one or two of the one of the two, or worse, none of them, it's a one point game. Now Baylor instead of settling for a long three. They can get to the rim, put the ball up off the glass, take a chance of getting fouled. Maybe you hit a circus shot. Or in most likely scenario, get the ball up off the rim. Baylor's a great offensive rebounding team, a weak side offensive rebound put back, and now you steal the win. Isaiah Moss steps up, hits a pair of free throws, ices the game. Essentially, Kansas had to make one final defensive play. Uh, contested three, no good. Kansas goes in and takes a monster road win. Arguably one of the better wins of the year for any team in college basketball this season. And now we have a tie. We have a tie towards at the top of the top of the heap for the Big 12. Both teams now are tied with one conference loss. I'm going to pull up the Big 12 standings here in just a second uh, to look at the schedules and stuff here. But there's only four or five games left in the conference. And now with the, now it's a crapshoot because looking at the Big 12 right now, Baylor and Kansas both 13-1. Each, each of their losses against each other, ironically at home, which is the weird thing about it. Kansas now is on a 12-game win streak too. 
Kansas is rolling. They look like they're going to be the number one team, and I'll explain why here in a little bit. They're going to be the number one team coming up polls tomorrow. They absolutely should be. I thought even had one of the other top five teams not lost, I think Kansas is the best team in America right now. Um, we'll talk more about that later on. But it, Both teams 13-1, and in third place is Texas Tech at 9-5. Kansas looking at their remaining schedule. Let me get this pulled up here. Kansas's remaining schedule. They've got five or sorry, four games left. Home against Oklahoma State. The return at Kansas State, which would be interesting. You guys remember the first meeting a couple weeks ago, they had that big brawl. TCU at home and then on the road at Texas Tech. The only loss I see potentially. I think that the bloke Oklahoma stay out. I just because it's a rivalry game at Kansas State, it's going to be a struggle for the majority. Kansas is the better team wins. TCU's better than what people think, but it's at home, senior day, or senior night, it looks like. Kansas should blow them out. And then on the road, final game of the regular season, they're at Texas Tech. We know how tough that one is. I think if they're going to lose any, it's going to be that final one at Texas Tech, which could set things up to be interesting. Could think, set things up to be very, very interesting. Um, Baylor's remaining schedule here. Let me get that pulled up. Oh, come on now. Baylor's remaining schedule. And the state at home at TCU. And then their final two, they get senior day or senior night against Texas Tech. And then their final game of the regular season, they've got to go to West Virginia. So a lot of commonality here. Three common opponents down the stretch for both Kansas and Baylor. Um, we in Kansas State, TCU, and Texas Tech, and then both end on a monster road game to end the year off. I don't know. I think Kansas uh, could be. I think Kansas wins this. I think Kansas will go four and zero down the stretch and win the conference. And I think Baylor slips up on the final game of the year against West Virginia. But I think the Big Twelve crown is coming down to that that March seventh because Tech or Baylor plays at West Virginia. Uh, 1 p.m. tip time, March 7th, and Kansas has to go to Texas Tech, I think, at a 2.30 tip time. I think it comes down to that final game, and I think Baylor loses at West Virginia that day and I because it's going to be senior day for West Virginia, and I think Kansas runs the table. I think Kansas reclaims the throne as Big 12. But not only that, they've reclaimed the throne of uh, being the number one team in all the land. Let's go ahead and get into some of the other games. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's another big week, um, another big week with all sorts of upsets. I talked about three top five teams lose. We already just went through um, Baylor loses to the number three team. Number two, Gonzaga. Gonzaga on a 20-some, 24-25 game win streak loses their first West Coast Conference game on the road to number 23, BYU, 91-78. Um, Yoeli Childs, the best player off BYU's team, 28 points, 10 rebounds, monster performance for the Cougars. Um, shout out to former Kentucky, um, former Kentucky player back in the nineties, won the title with them. Mark Pope. He's the coach at BYU. Great to see that. Gonzaga slipped up. I actually called this one in our weekly pick I picked BYU. I've never been sold on Gonzaga. I do think that they're really good. I think they're always really good, but I think it's the same story every year. And it's seemingly the West Coast, you know, St. Mary's isn't as good as we thought they were. 
But BYU stepped up in that place, and now BYU BYU handled them both halves. I mean, they beat them by 13. They were up eight at halftime, and they outscored them another five in the second half. At no point did Gonzaga even look like they were going to win that game. BYU knocks off number two, Gonzaga. The lone remaining undefeated team in America, number four, San Diego State, at home, takes their first loss of the year to a fifth, or at the time, 14-14 and 14, UNLV team. They lose 66-63 on their home floor. So that leaves another year where the 1976 Indiana Hoosiers are the lone remaining undefeated team in college basketball. Um, San Diego State, I still think they're a solid team. I never was sold on them on the fact, like, same way with Gonzaga. I actually were way higher on Gonzaga because I think overall talent's better. San Diego State never bought into them as uh, one seed, never bought into them as this just dominant force. I think that they're good enough to one of those teams that get to Elite Eight. I don't think they can get over the hump. And they got exposed by a bad UNLV team last night. Number five, who's probably going to be your number two team in the nation now. The Dayton Flyers continue their winning ways. Dayton 80, Duquesne 70. If you remember, Duquesne was one of the last five or six undefeated teams in America at one point. And one of the top challengers in the ATN. Dayton, Obi Toppin, 28.7 boards. That dude right there has made himself so many millions of dollars this year um, looking ahead for the NBA draft. Uh, burst on the scene really in the Maui Invitational. I think Anthony Grant, their head coach, is there for National Coach of the Year. Obi Toppin's there for the, the Wooden Player of the Year award. Um, absolute filthy. And in the game, man, this filthy windmill to just close the deal and close up shop against Duke Heat. Dayton's going to be your number two team in the land, I think, come come tomorrow evening. <laughs> it's going to be crazy, right? The, and think about it. If it's Kansas and Dayton, that was your final for Maui. I think this Dayton team is really good. Um, Duke was able to win yesterday. They blew out Virginia Tech. But earlier in the week, Duke tucked a monster L, a 22-point loss at North Carolina State, their largest loss in Coach K, the Coach K era. Um, by a non-ranked opponent. North Carolina State just smacked them around good. So Duke went 1-1 one one on the week. We'll see what happens. And and they gave the ACC lead back. Louisville had lost in a row. Duke tucked the ACC lead over, and now they gave it right back. Now we're back to square, uh, you know, what am I trying to say here? <laughs> we're back to square one between Duke, Louisville, and Florida State. We'll talk about that here in the next segment when we start breaking down these conference races. Speaking of Florida State, they went to North Carolina State yesterday. Uh, obviously, we just talked about North Carolina State knocking off Duke. North Carolina State led in this. They were up 13 points, 14 points there for a while. And then Florida State's athleticism and defense and rebounding brought them back. MJ Walker, 12 points to lead uh, the Seminoles. Florida State, nice win. But I think North Carolina State put themselves back in the tournament. That win over Duke was their signature win. They're 17 and 10 now following the FSU loss. Eight and eight in conference. As long as they don't have any bad losses coming out, they can lose. Actually, let's take a look at Carolina State's remaining schedule. Because um, we're going to talk more about them and our teams like this and our, our bubble talk coming up. Four games left. They got at North Carolina, who's, who's let's face it, has been pretty terrible this year. They're home against Pittsburgh. At Duke in the return, home against Wake Forest. They can't lose the game against Pittsburgh or Wake Forest. 
they, they really can't lose North Carolina, but you can kind of overlook just a rivalry game out on the, you know, on the road, and then the Duke game's not going to hurt them. You can't lose at home to Pitt or Wake. If they if they win those two, I think that'd give them. Let's say they, let's say they lose the Carolina Duke on the road, and then they win the two games at home. That would put them at nineteen and twelve, ten and ten in conference. Um, I think, especially the way the bubble is this year, I think North Carolina State would be in the tournament. That's just me. Villanova got their revenge from a couple weeks ago, went to Xavier and beat them 64-55. Auburn was down 15, 15 at home to or Tennessee and comes back 73-66. And a Pac-12 clash, Arizona continues their weird, <laughs> their weird roller coaster this year. Um, Oregon, number 14, Oregon, 73 in overtime, or 73, number 24, Arizona, 72 in overtime. Peyton Pritchard, 38 points, six boards, four assists. That dude is phenomenal. When it comes down to closing the show, because he's done it four or five times this year already, when it comes to a game winner or to close the show down and go home, Peyton Pritchard might be the best in the nation. He's done it. He's done it four or five times this year. Another upset in the top 25 yesterday, TCU 67, West Bygod, Virginia, who's number 17 in the land, 60. UCLA, who's now won eight in a row, nine of their last 10. UCLA on the road, 70. Number 18, Colorado, 63. That puts UCLA, who I was, I want to give a lot of credit to UCLA. Um, you lose a guy like Sharif O'Neal. You have a lot of turmoil. You bad losses, like looking terrible. Earlier in the year, um, and remember, I railed on Mitt, Mitt Cronin. They've bounced back. UCLA's now put themselves in a potential or contention to be in the NCAA tournament. If they go ahead and finish this off and make the tournament, I got to give Mitt Cronin and company a lot of credit for the resolve and the bounce back. Another Big East upset: um, Providence at home, eighty-four. Number nineteen, Marquette, seventy-two. Marcus Howard went for thirty-eight. He's the only. He's he scores a ton whether Marquette wins or loses or not. That's why I won't give him the – I think he's phenomenal, but if your team's not winning, I can't give you player of the year over a guy like Miles Powell, whose team's been in the top 10, top 15 all year. Miles Powell scores 30-35. So, another upset. And then Memphis. Memphis got him a nice win again. Um. One, one of the top teams in the American Conference ahead of them, number 22, Houston. Memphis holds home court, beats them 60-59. to 59. Good win for Memphis. That puts them right back, I think, in the bubble talk. A couple, uh, couple scores from – oh, well, I'd be remiss too. Louisville, you know, they smacked up on North Carolina at home, 72-55. Louisville is looking really good again. North Carolina's now got 17 losses, 3-13 and in the ACC. They're going to have to throw a Hail Mary and win the ACC tournament. <laughs> or they're not even going to make the NIT. We've talked about that. You, you can't make the NIT um, just because your name's Carolina if you don't at least have, a, I think, a 500 record in conference play. I think something like that. Or at least 500 record overall. They're nowhere close to that. Carolina's done unless they win the ACC tournament. and Or they won't be in, in any postseason play. Kentucky, two monster wins this week. First off, on Tuesday night, they went to LSU, took care of business against LSU. Uh, Emmanuel quickly continues his hot play. Nick Richards was fantastic. Tyrese Maxey was really good. Nate Sestina came out of his shell, played awesome. Kentucky got a big win at LSU. And then yesterday, 
they played around with Florida. They were tied at halftime, 31-31. Kentucky's in a built same story all year. They're late in the game, four minutes to go. Kentucky's cruising. They're at, I think we had at 15, 12, 15 points. Florida turned on a press. We could not inbound the ball. Some sloppy turnovers. Florida hit some threes. All credit to Trey Mann. Trey Mann, I thought, was really good. And Keontae Johnson for Florida, 19 points, nine boards. Florida, we know the talent they have. But at the end of the day, Emmanuel quickly, 26 points, a career high, in front of John Wall, who was there, uh, which was really cool. Emmanuel quickly, we've talked about Nick Richards. It's time to put Emmanuel quickly right there in that conversation for SEC Player of the Year. He's been the most consistent player on this Kentucky team. Even with Nick, he's been the most consistent, steady player the last month and a half. One of the most consistent, steady players in all of America, not just on Kentucky. Um, the, the Cats did what they had to do. They shoot free throws so well. I think that's why they've got a chance to win the title this year. I really do. I mean, yeah, you got to shoot some better from, from deep and open defenses up, but they play good deep. They held Florida to 59 points. 59 points! Um, They just need to hit a couple. They need to hit four or five, come in, say, tournament time. Continue to attack the rim. Continue to play defense. And late in games, they've got three point guards on the floor. They've got a big who is athletic as hell and runs the floor and can score on the block. Block shots on defense. And they hit free throws. You foul them, they're going to hit free throws. I think that's why Kentucky can win a title now. Um, Rapid fire. We had some big games today on Sunday as we record the 23rd. Number 25, Ohio State continues their reascent. They're one of the weirdest resumes in America. Uh, remember, they climbed all up to number two in America. Then they lost all them games in a row. Now they're climbing back. They've won a bunch in a row. At home, 79. Number seven, Maryland, 72. Another Big Ten upset. Another top team that fell today. Indiana with a monster win. Indiana, 68. Number nine, Penn State, 60. And we had a couple other games. Um, we're going to talk more about that this next segment. I'm going to take a break in the action. The next segment, we're going to get ready. We're three weeks out from Selection Sunday. We're going to talk all about conference standings, the player of the year races, coach of the years, um, why I think Mike White's doing a disservice to the Florida team, um, bracketology, all that and more. We've got so much more to talk about. You're listening to episode 56 of the Everything College Basketball Podcast. We'll be right back here in a minute. What's happening, College Hoops fans? It is Conrad Cushman from the Everything Pro Wrestling Podcast, and I'm here to tell you how you can follow Everything Pro Wrestling. First, go to your Facebook, type in the search bar, Everything Pro Wrestling. Look for our official page with over 1,000 likes and make sure you give it a like. Also, we have a closed group with over 200 members in it where you can join discussions and talk about anything and everything pro wrestling. We also have a Twitter handle, and that is at EPW show and we have a podcast and the podcast is available on anchor apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify and stitcher and remember everything pro wrestling is a show by the fans for the fans now let's get back to talking some college hoops Hey, welcome back to episode 56 of the Everything College Basketball Podcast. 
kind of left you off with a little bit of a tease from the last segment. Um, I told you I'm going to tell you why I think head coach from the Florida Gators, Mike White's doing his team a disservice. I think Mike White's a solid coach. I think he's a, could be a very good coach, um, especially taking over for Billy Donovan, a legend at that program. People know that's not easy. It's not easy taking over for a legend. He's got them um, to Elite Eight within a couple of years of being there. He's had some pretty good teams. But this year's team, we had them ranked as high as sixth in the preseason poll. They're loaded with talent. Two five-star kids coming in and Scotty Lewis and Trey Mann. Andrew Nimharm coming back, who we thought would be one of the best point guards in America. The top transfer in all of America, Kerry Blackshire, came to Florida. And they had some good solid pieces like Keontae Johnson back, etc., etc. The Florida team's now at 17-10 and 10 following the Kentucky loss. There's no way, and I know the college basketball season's been weird, but no way should Florida be 17-10. and 10. And I think... I think it has to do with Mike White wanting to play a slower, methodical style of play. Um, they scored 59. I know Kentucky's defense had a lot to do with that, but Florida looks to play more in the half court. They have the horses that get up and run. They have the horses that get out and transition, and they could be Auburn. They could be that Auburn-esque style. Uh, they could even be Alabama or Arkansas. Teams that can get up and go, put 85, 90 points up nightly, and really use their athletes to be a threat. Spread the floor. They've got shooters. But they want to grind it out, it seems like, and play in the late in the shot clock and try to dump it down to Blackshear, one of those guys, or have her guard make a play. And this team's just not – it's not who they should be. I guarantee you, late in the year, if they switched up and said, screw it, let's go – Full out, let's run and gun, make or miss, get the ball out of the net, outlet, attack the rim, shooters get wide, trail guy, you know, spread the floor. Florida would still be a handful. I think head coach Mike White's doing them a, a huge disservice by having them playing so slow right now. Let's go ahead and get into some conference standings, though. We're late in the year, about four games left. Excuse me, four games left roughly in each of the major conferences. As we take a look around America and the conferences, America East, Vermont was the favorite in this conference. They got a two and a half game lead. This is going to be a one bid league, though. So winning the regular season title is nice, but you got to do it when it matters in the conference tournament if you want the NCAA bid. But as we stand in the regular season right now, Vermont, two and a half up in the American East. Anthony Lamb, the name member we told you preseason. One of the mid-major player of the year uh, guys. And um, Vermont's one of those teams that get in the tournament. Anthony Lamb, they've got that player that could really pull an upset in like a 4-13, 12-5 type matchup. American Athletic Conference. It's, uh, it's a tie at the top with a team that's a half game back. It's a hell of a race. Houston and Cincinnati atop the conference at 11-4. Remember, Memphis just beat Houston. Houston, Cincinnati, 11-4 in conference. Tulsa's a half game back at 10-4. And, and then you have three teams tied at 8-6, and six, Wichita State, SMU, Memphis, 8-6. and six. This is important to be ahead of that next team for seeding in the conference tournament, this, especially when teams like Wichita State and Tulsa and SMU, Memphis, are all vying to get a bubble 
or sorry, all vying because they're on the bubble, but all vying for that that um automatic bid. It makes a real difference if you're like, let's say, the three seed or the four seed as opposed to falling all the way to like the seven or eight and who you play, how tough they are, et cetera, et cetera, in your own conference tournament. So good race going on there. The Atlantic 10's all but over with. Dayton's 14 and 0, Rhode Island 11 and 3, St. Bonnie's and Richmond 10 and 4. Um, you got some teams too preseason we thought could be really good to vying for it. Um, we knew Rhode Island could be good. Uh, Richmond started off good. They're 10 and 4, don't get me wrong, in conference. I think they could sneak in and steal a bubble bid too because they're 27 on the year. Um, Davidson thought they'd be a lot better with John Axel Goodmanson. Uh, VCU started off well, but they're 7 7 conference, 17 and 10. They're going to have to win the conference tournament to make it to the NCAAs. So a lot of uh, just a weird league in the A10, but Dayton just dominated everybody. The ACC. ACC. You've got the big three. It's been this way pretty much all season. Louisville leading the conference at 14 and three. Duke and Florida State a half game back at 13 and three. And then you have Virginia, who's kind of snuck in there, 11 and five. They're two and a half back. And then you have this crazy log jam of basically, to me, mediocrity. North Carolina State, Notre Dame, Syracuse, Clemson, all eight and eight, five and a half games back. Georgia Tech, seven and nine, six and a half back. Boston College, seven and ten, seven games back. Virginia Tech, six and ten. Miami, six and eleven. Pittsburgh, six and eleven. Wake Forest, four and twelve. North Carolina, three and thirteen. I think the question for North Carolina, do they win another conference game the rest of the year? Before I mean in the regular season. They're 3-13 in conference now. Let's take a look at Carolina's remaining schedule. If it decides to pull up here. Carolina's remaining schedule. North Carolina State at Syracuse, Wake Forest, Duke. Where's the win? Do they hold home court and beat North Carolina State? Do they hold home court and beat Wake Forest? Do they get a win somehow magically on the road against Syracuse or Duke? I don't know. Does Carolina really going to end the... In the regular season play, three and what was that? Three and seventeen in the ACC. Ooh, who would have thought? Who would have thunk it? Losers of seven in a row now. <laughs> Lost every game since Cole Anthony's came back. By the way, the Atlantic Sun's a good little race. The Liberty Flame twelve and two. Um, North Florida twelve and three. Again, this is a one-bid league, so it all is going to come down the conference tournament. We just went over the Big 12, Kansas and Baylor in that race, the Big East. Big East, to me, is a three-team race right now. Seton Hall leads the conference at 12-3. and three. Creighton 11-1, and one, or sorry, 11-4, one game back. Villanova 10-4, a game and a half back. Can Seton Hall hold their grip down the stretch? Can they hold their nerve down the stretch? We'll find out. Big Sky, good little race here too. Uh, Montana, thirteen and three leads, and you have Eastern Washington, Northern Colorado, twelve and four, a game back piece. Again, another one bid league. Sorry for my phone going off there. Let me make sure I turn that down. That's pretty unprofessional, right there. The Big South, Radford, four and two, Winthrop, thirteen and three, two team race in that one. The Big Ten, the best conference in college basketball. Maryland, even with the loss today. 
They were helped out by Indiana knocking off Penn State. Maryland is now in a conference that has battled back and forth and back and forth all season long. Maryland, down the stretch, now has a two-game lead on the conference. Maryland's 12-4. and And then you have Penn State, Iowa, Michigan State, and Wisconsin, all 10-6, and two games back. Illinois, 9-6, and two and a half back. Michigan, 9-7, three games back, who's won five in a row. They're the hottest team in uh, the conference right now. Rutgers, 9-8, three and a half back. Indiana, 8-8. Eight and eight. Ohio State, 8-8, eight and eight, both four games back. Minnesota, 7-9, five back. Purdue, 7-10, five and a half back. Northwest, or sorry, Nebraska, 2-13, and nine and a half back. Northwestern, 1-15-11 back. Um, I think, and let's look at Maryland's remaining schedule. Let's look at the remaining schedule and see what they have going down the stretch here. Maryland's final four at Minnesota, Michigan State at Rutgers, Michigan. Now, obviously, none of these games in the Big 12 or Big 10's easy. The barn's always tough to play in, but I think if they steal the one at the barn, they've got two home games between Michigan State and Michigan down the stretch and a game at Rutgers, which is never easy. I think the key game, if Maryland beats Minnesota in their next game on Wednesday night, I think they win the conference. I think they win the conference. Two games up, um, four games left, two at home, two away, you do the math. And then that also depends, too. Um, one of those other teams, a Penn State, an Iowa, Michigan State, because they have to play Michigan State. So they, they, they can eliminate a threat right there. Um, I think Maryland's going to be your Big Ten champs this year. I think Maryland's going to be your Big Ten champs this year. So... Getting interesting. Purdue struggled so bad. I mean, lost four in a row after that big Indiana win. Now, um, they were—I thought they were in the tournament. Now they have played themselves completely off the bubble. I think Big Ten's been really good this year. Let's go ahead and just skip some of the bigger conferences. No offense, some of the smaller ones though. Um, conference I really want to keep an eye out on too. As a smaller one though, is the Ivy League. Uh, Yale's a game up right now. Yale's eight and two, Harvard and Princeton both seven and three. They went to a semi-tournament format after years and years of being the only conference left of just the outright regular season gets to the bid a couple years back, but it's only like the top four teams, I think. Yale, Harvard, and Princeton, all three are pretty quality teams. I mean, Yale's at 20 and six overall, Harvard eight and seven, Princeton's 12 and 11, but they all play that style. That is so dangerous come tournament where they can control the pace. And if you're not, if you overplay, they'll back cut you. They'll pick and pop for threes. Those Ivy League teams are always dangerous. Remember Yale last year gave LSU a game in the first round. Mieoni, one of the better players, he's in the NBA now. Um, and Yale and both Har- both Harvard and Yale, I not so much Princeton, but both Harvard and Yale can really do damage come tournament. I want everybody to keep an eye on the Ivy League. Um, as we scroll on down here, scroll on down. Um, oh, here's another really good one. Keep an eye on the Ohio Valley. We've talked about it all year. Three teams are tied at 13 and three in that conference. Austin P, Murray State, Belmont, 13 and three. All well, with except Austin P's got 19 wins. Murray State's got 20. Belmont, 22 wins. All three of them teams. It's going to be a one bid league. All three of those teams can make can make some noise in, say, a tournament time. At 12 race, 
Raise your hand right now. Because I, you guys all know I picked Colorado to win the conference. Raise your hand right now if you had, late in the year, Arizona State leading the conference. They've won seven in a row. They're 10-4 and four in the conference, leading the, game, or leading the Pac-12 by a half game over Oregon, UCLA, and Colorado, who's all 10-5. and five. UCLA winner five in a row, by the way. Arizona State's done a tremendous job. Bobby Hurley has done a wonderful job at Arizona State this year. Then you move on Arizona, 9-5 and five in conference. They're a game back, though. USC eight and seven, two and a half, and everybody else is pretty much useless. I mean, Washington's down there at three and twelve. Washington's a team that we had predicted top four in this conference, by the way. But look at that. You have five teams within a game of each other, with only a couple left. Arizona could legitimately go from fifth and here in two weeks when the season's over, or the regular season, win the conference. Five teams within a game. Pac-12 definitely made a bounce back this year. It's good to see. The SEC. Kentucky. Just a month ago, two games behind LSU. Two weeks ago, they were tied with LSU and Auburn. Now we sit here and the Cats are two games up on Auburn and LSU. Kentucky 12-2. and two, Auburn 10-4. and four, LSU 10-4. and four, Florida 9-5. South Carolina eight and six, Texas A and M eight and six, Mississippi State eight and six, Tennessee, Alabama seven and seven, Arkansas five and nine, Missouri five and nine, Ole Miss and Georgia four and ten, and of course Vandy one and thirteen. Kentucky's winners of six in a row. They're twenty two and five overall, tenth in the nation. With all these upsets, Kentucky, in my opinion, better move closer to that top five. I think if you look at just the eye test, I don't, and I you say it biased, but you guys know me better than that. Just on eye test, there's not too many teams that just playing better than they are right now. I mean, Kansas for sure. Kansas is definitely playing better. I still think Baylor's slightly better. Um, but you can't tell me Kentucky's not playing better than than Duke right now. They're not playing better than whoever, right? Maryland, obviously. Kentucky deserves to be closer at top five. I mean, Dayton's playing better, I guess. So if you just go on the teams that are still playing better or slightly better, you'd go Kansas 1, Dayton 2, probably Baylor 3, Kentucky 4. They're not going to. They'll probably only move up two or three spots just the way the committee is because they're harping on this uh, this Evansville loss. But you've had, after so so many good wins, you you got to think that that would eventually cancel out that one terrible, terrible loss. And Utah, Utah was pretty bad, but you could – you can understand that a little bit more. The at South Carolina's turned out to not to be so bad now. They're eight and six in conference, sixteen eleven overall. They're flirting around on the bubble too. Uh, I think we'll get into it. Lenardi has them close to making the tournament, so that's not as bad now. But Kentucky up two games in the SEC. The SoCon, East Tennessee State fourteen and two, Furman thirteen and three, UNC Greensboro thirteen and three. It's a three team race separated by one game. I love the SoCon. Love the SoCon. Let's go ahead and get into bracketology real quick. Got a few minutes here to spend on it. Bracketology. This was done on Friday, by the way. So things have changed. The last four teams in as of Friday's update. 
Indiana, Utah State, Richmond, North Carolina State, first four out, Purdue, Mississippi State, Providence, Georgetown. Talk about South Carolina. They were on part of that next four out. So they're hovering right there in the bubble. Uh, the number one teams were still Baylor, Kansas, San Diego State, Gonzaga. Your two seeds were Dayton, Duke, Maryland, Seton Hall. A couple interesting things we want to talk about real quick. They have an Illinois-Florida 8-9 matchup I think would be phenomenal. If you're looking for a 5-12 upset, should this have you know happened, obviously. Liberty over Michigan State's one I think would give you fits. Um, uh, they have Michigan 7 against a 10 Virginia. That would be interesting should that happen. Kentucky's up to a three line. Remember, they were a four. Actually, a couple weeks ago, they were a five when the initial um, NCAA gave their sneak peek. They've moved up to the four. Now they're up to a three. But that region would be brutal if this is what happened, right? Lenardi, this actually came. I love the fact they'd been in Indianapolis. But as a three, they I think they'd take care of business against Wright State. Then they'd have to play the winner of Butler, Cincinnati, which I think they'd be okay with. And then you're looking at possibly Duke of the two, and you're one in that region's Kansas. Not an easy road to hoe on that one, but obviously things are going to shake up. I still think Kentucky's ceiling's a two. The way they're playing, the way other teams are losing the head of them, I think their ceiling's a two when we're sitting here three weeks from tonight. Um, other ones interesting, I think caught my mind talking about Yale. They were their 12 seed. Auburn's their five. That could be real interesting for the Tigers. Louisville's down to a three um, out in the west. Seton Hall's a two. Good to see Seton Hall a two, though. BYU's a seven. Guarantee when the new bracketology comes out tomorrow, um, BYU probably climbs up to at least one line. I think they probably climb up to a six line. Villanova as a four. Arizona is a five, but Arizona, they have them right now playing as a play-in game between Richmond and Indiana for the 12. If you're Indiana, that would be brutal. I know you'd be glad to be in the tournament. I think you would beat Richmond, but Jesus. Jesus. Let's just play this out pretend, okay? Indiana, this was the real deal. Indiana, to get to the Final Four. Again, we're just pretending here for all you Hoosier fans. You'd have to win a play-in game on either Tuesday or Wednesday night against Richmond and Dayton. Then you'd have to fly out to Albany to play the five-seed Arizona with all that talent. I know they've kind of underperformed at times, but all that talent. They'll say you beat them. Then you're getting the winner of Villanova-Vermont. Let's just say it goes chalk. You play Villanova. Not an easy one. Let's say again you beat them. Again, we'll chalk it out. Sweet 16 in Madison Square Garden. You play the number one seed, San Diego State. I actually think Indiana is a favorable matchup because San Diego State likes to be physical and play, you know, play off the backboard. I think Indiana's got enough depth in the front court to give them problems because they've already seen a, a better version of that in Florida State and beat them. So let's say Indiana makes it Elite Eight. Then you would either more than likely you're going to get the three seed Florida State in a rematch. Or you're going to get the two-seed Maryland, who you're all familiar with. That would be Indiana's road to hoe to get to a Final Four, if that was the bracket. Not an easy one. Indiana, now with this win, this win against um, Penn State, definitely, I think, solidly puts them in the field, moves them up from that 12-seed, probably moves them up to 10 or 11, to be completely frank with you. But we'll find out. Now, what Indiana cannot go do, they cannot lose a game they shouldn't lose. 
you're Indiana, you cannot be turned around. Let's like take a look at Hoosier's remaining games here. Um, if it'll pull up. Indiana at Purdue on Thursday. At Illinois. Home against Minnesota, home against Wisconsin. All four of them tough. All four of them tough. I think you at least got to win the two home games. You got to win against Minnesota, win against Wisconsin. You lose against at Purdue, lose at Illinois. It sucks. It gives you 11 losses. But the two home wins help you out, especially Wisconsin, who's ahead of you in the standings right now. That would give you 20 and 11, right in the middle of the pack, somewhere in the Big Ten. I think you're in the tournament. You just can't lose either one of the games at home. Now, if you were to win Purdue, you could afford to lose the Illinois game. You just cannot, by any stretch of the means, go like one and three over the last four. Because then if you do, you're stuck. You got to win at least one or two inside the Big Ten tournament. That's just my theory on that. Leading the conference rundowns, um, the Big Ten, obviously 10 teams, Big East 6, Pac-12, Big 12, ACC 5, who jumped up in the last week or so has really helped. North Carolina State getting some big wins. Virginia popping back has really helped boost the ACC. SEC's got four teams kind of falling on hard times here just the last couple weeks. The American West Coast and A-10-3, the Mountain West 2, and everybody else has got one. Love bracketology. Um, like I said, three weeks from night, we're going to know the real deal. All 68 teams are going to know their spot. I'm excited. Excited about that. Got some big games coming up this upcoming week, as always. Um, Louisville at Florida State tomorrow night. That's a ACC eliminator game, I think, as far as winning the regular season crown. The winner of that, or sorry, the loser of that, I think, are going to fall like a game, game and a half back, two games back. It's over with. Louisville needs to avenge their loss to Florida State. Louisville's playing well. Let's see what happens. That'll be a fun one tomorrow night. Tuesday, Tuesday, um, top 25 teams play, but, you know, Iowa at Michigan State, Michigan State desperately needs a win, desperately needs a win, and if they win, it, I think it's a limiter because, remember, both of them teams are two games back behind Maryland for the conference race, so could be interesting there Tuesday night. Wednesday night, um. You know, as far as, like, ranked versus ranked matchups, now there's a lot of interesting interplay in the conferences like we've talked about, like Michigan State and Iowa. But, like, ranked versus ranked matchups, there's not a lot. I mean, Thursday night, the biggest game isn't a ranked matchup at all, but it's going to be Indiana at Purdue just for rivalry's sake. Indiana Purdue, yeah, yeah, looking down the, the schedule list of games, Indiana Purdue Thursday night, that'll be the biggest game, rivalry game. That'll be a fun one. Friday, not a lot going on. And then Saturday. Saturday, we got some interesting ones. Penn State at Iowa. You, you've got, um, well, the Kansas at Kansas State will be fun. Just for, again, to see what happens. Seton Hall, Marquette, the return. Uh, Seton Hall, chance probably clinch the conference, in my opinion, at Marquette. And plus, you get Miles Powell versus Marcus Howard. And then Auburn at Kentucky is probably going to be the ga game of the day. Auburn at Kentucky will probably be your game of the day on Saturday. So with that said, I'm going to go ahead and do my bank on it. And it's a couple conference. How should I put this? My bank on it this week is going to the SEC and what was 